Welcome to another episode of ESPN's NBL podcast. My name's Kane Pittman, here every Tuesday with my good friend and colleague, Olga Norwich. Olgs, it's good, just good to see you out of the house, actually. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I When I arrived at work today, I offered to buy Kane a coffee. Yes. He said, please. And Kane, what did you order? What did you ask for? I said, just a stock standard latte. Thanks, mate. Okay, so we're in Australia. Yep. So there's like there's a way generally you order coffee. Mm. Um, I asked what kind of milk. What did you say? Just normal, mate. Normal milk? Yeah. Okay. You meant full cream milk. Yeah, I did. And I, I think most people would understand that. We don't need to be going with the oat, the goat, the camel, the, the whatever whatever <laughs> else you can come up with. Just the, just the standard full cream. Just have oat milk. People don't like lactose. No, no, no. Anyways, normal milk. Delicious coffee. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I didn't make it, but you're welcome. Uh, what about Tazzy? We got. Uh, first of all, we have got a lot to get through on this week's podcast. I I'm think we're really going to have excited. a bit of fun. There's going to be a little bit of silliness, but I did say to you, let's get serious right off the top and talk about our friends from Tasmania because I don't think we've done a lot of it. And we saw the last two times we were together in Melbourne in a game where they were behind for 38 minutes and were able to win. And then we saw yesterday against Brisbane. Again, they were challenged in the first half, there's no doubt, but they were able to close the game. And they are showing signs of having a closer on this roster. Milt the Stilt, Mini mini KD, whatever you (laughs) want to call him. Milton Doyle has been on fire. We... It was the fear when they lost Josh Adams, right? Who's going to be the closer on this team? And that Melbourne game, Melbourne was leading that game for 90% of it. The ball went in Milton Doyle's hands. He just plays with the the most impressive composure. He is unreal with the ball in his hands in those situations. It almost seemed like... And so he did that in the Melbourne game, led them to victory, did the same thing in the game against Brisbane. But like, he does this thing where... He gets the ball, and it's like he knows exactly the shot his team's going to get and when he wants them to get it. And so he's got the ball at the top of the key. He knows, all right, Magne's going to come set this high on ball. I'm going to get him an alley-oop with five seconds left on the shot clock. Bang. On ball, up. Like it, and it's just over and over again. He has so much composure. Um, I, I, I think, is he your favorite player in the league right now? Uh, Firstly, you've been calling him Mini KD for a very long time. Now, we're not entirely sure if... We, and I'm I'm pretty confident that you came up with that independently, but we're not entirely sure that that is oh. your creation, right? No, we're not. Uh, this was something, because I, I have been saying it to you all season long, but... I've been laughing at you for it, too. Even though we all appreciate how good me. Milton Doyle is. At me. You've, yes, you've been laughing at me. Let's be clear about that. But last week, we were in the post-game, and Luke Sakari, who works with the NBL, uh, this was brought up, because this was after the United game, Milton Doyle was on fire, and he said... Hey, that's what Jack McVeigh calls him. Or that's what Jack McVeigh was calling him in Darwin. Now, we were both in Darwin. So I can't confirm this. But maybe I heard... <laughs> it's it's at least possible that I heard Jack McVeigh say this and I've stolen it. But I've been running with it all year. And, and based on what we saw the last two games, his ability to close games, create for himself and for others, I don't hate it. No. And I tweeted it the other day, but he is aesthetically pleasing to watch, as you said. I mean, never rushed, completely in control, has the full jump shot package, and sneakily a decent facilitator. So, 17.5 points per game for him. And there are players that just like playing against other teams. So, he had the 33 points versus Brisbane on Sunday. Yeah. Last time they played Brisbane, he had 32. (laughs) So, yeah, he's been picking on Brisbane a little bit here. But I think in general, since he's come back, he missed... About three weeks of, of basketball all up there uh, through November. So uh, he adds something different to the Jack Jumpers. But Will Magno, you mentioned, he does as well. 
it's pretty extraordinary to think about what this team was able to do last season defensively without anyone that plays above the rim from the defensive side of the ball. So having a rim protector now and a lob threat, I think it was easy to look at what the Jack Jumpers did and just say, uh, they don't really need Will Magnay. He's a, he's a forgotten player in Australian basketball. But yeah. limited minutes so far. But gee, you hope he stays healthy because he does change some of the things they can do. Well, so like we can compare... So I'll get to that. We'll compare the start of the season of Tasmania and let's say Melbourne, right? Both missing a lot of people. Mm. But Tasmania found a way... To, to coast they they found a way to pick up those wins that you need to win whereas melbourne didn't they lost a bunch of games at home that game against tasmania melbourne should have won um and so tasmania did a really good job waiting for their guys to come back but still keeping things ticking over um and you know the continuity of all their guys helps uh, the nature of the way that they play helps too but now that tasmania is suddenly getting healthy you will magnate coming back into the lineup clint steindl's come back in he's making shots you know all of a sudden this is a team that is getting all of its, you know, dynamic offensive weapons back as well. They they're now missing Matt Kenyon and Sam McDaniel, but again, they have this continuity, and I think now they have, you know, those top level pieces in, you know, Magne and Doyle and Majet um, and McVeigh all clicking. They look like a real team. They're a team that I think is definitely in that four, five, six range, um, and they're one that I would not want to play in the playoffs in in that play-in game because of the way that they're able to defend in stretches and of the way now that we've seen Milton Doyle you know, close games. So Brent Costello, who does a, a fine job down in Tassie for win news, he tweeted this last night and he said, eight of 13 have been on the road, which was something that had slipped to my mind. So mm. we've spoken about a bunch of different teams that have had yeah, road-heavy starts to the season, but they've also been to New Zealand twice in that as well. So uh, they play Sydney coming up, I believe, and then after that, uh, they've got a bunch of games that are going to be at home as well. And we know they play well down there. So yeah, seven and six, not a bad spot to be. They haven't been perfect on either round fifth in offense, seventh in defense. So nowhere near where they were consistently defensively. They were basically in the top two or three all year last year, but um, they're hanging around and it is a top six. MVP candidates though. So Milton Doyle, I, I look, I don't think he's, he's would be an MVP finalist. I don't think he'd be that close at this point in time because he's missed games, but uh, his mother did, tweet that he should be in the MVP conversation and I appreciate that because as someone that's on the jump every week Wednesday night 8 30 p.m on ESPN but every time we finish the show I get a text from my mom and she says you were the best on the desk tonight <laughs> and look it's not always true and I know that it's not always true but I appreciate the text so I can get behind some support um, from your mother in this regard but you've got a player that you wanted to highlight in the we'll call it the MVP periphery or the MVP wider group right now. Yeah, um, we've been talking about Zabe Cooks a lot. You know, people bring up Mitch Creek. Obviously, Southeast Melbourne is winning. He's in that MVP conversation. Keanu Pinder is someone people talk about. It was weird that it was difficult to find a New Zealand Breakers player who can enter that conversation because of how deep they are, because of how spread the production is. But I'm going to make a case for Derek Pardon to be in that top five MVP situation. And the way I look at it is like this, right? They are not... They're one of the best defensive teams, and I think he's their defensive anchor. He's probably the front runner for Defensive Player of the Year right now. He leads the league in true shooting percentage. He's second in um, effective field goal percentage. He's third in player efficiency rating. He... I've written another stat here that I can't even read. Mate, keep them coming. I know. I think... Okay, he's first in effective rating. Mm. Um, 
And I want to liken this season to what Andrew Bogut did a few years ago. So Andrew Bogut, Sydney Kings were third on the ladder when that season ended. He averaged 11.6 points, 11.6 rebounds, three and a half assists, two and a half blocks a game, right? Great season. He won MVP that year. And I think right, rightfully so. It's him versus Bryce Cotton. Bogut went and took it because of his ability to defend. He won Defensive Player of the Year as well. Derek Pardon is averaging 12.6 a game, uh, points a game, 8.7 rebounds, 1.2 blocks a game. He is the defensive anchor for that team. And they're second in the league right now. And so what, like, practically, what is the difference between those two seasons? I understand Bogut was sort of the, the go-to guy on both ends to an extent. But they're putting up, he's putting up, but Derek Pardon's putting up really similar numbers to what Bogut did in that year. And it's, for some reason, we're not talking about him. I think it's because the way he plays isn't sexy. It's not, it's not dynamic in, the, in that Xavier Cooks is going to throw down some dunks and Mitch Creek is going to do the same. And usually we talk about Bryce Cotton dropping 30 a game. But Derek Pardon, at least, I think, literally, is the most valuable player. He brings so much value to that team. Um, I remember what that stat is. He's first in win shares. What about the index on the NBL box score? Can you explain to me what index is, what that number is, and why it's on the box score every week? Okay, so the way this is being explained to me by international scouts is uh, the index is effectively an arbitrary number yes. that gives you an idea of like, hey, this player played good today. So there's just one man in an office saying, look, I reckon he's been pretty good. Let's give him an yeah. index of 23. He's a, he's a 23, yeah? Like, oh, good game from him, he's a 30. Yeah, bad game from him, he's a 2. Nice. It's just, it's... Brian Index is his name, and he just and he just picks however however well he thinks you played. I like it. Yeah, that's my type of stat. So yeah, that's my that's my Derek Pardon. That's my case for Derek Pardon. So to be in the conversation, Mitch Creek, uh, you know Bryce Cotton, Perth the way off. I don't think he'd win the MVT, MVP if you're not in the top six. Um, Keanu Pinder, obviously Xavier Cooks, I think would be my winner today. Yes. So is Pardon squeezing any of those guys out? Well. Well, we're going to talk about all NBL teams. Oh, my goodness. I know. And who's going to squeeze who out of that? And I think this is a good indicator of that. So, can, can we jump to that? We can. But first, I've got a stat. I didn't know you were going to reel off 25 pardon stats, but i got one stat <laughs> that I just love. Is it pro pardon? Yeah. Go ahead. He's had 97 shot attempts this season. How many of those do you think have been outside the paint? Like one accidentally? Zero. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and he's and he's at 68% uh, on those two-point uh, attempts. He's 82 for 97 at the rim, which is around 75%. So out of the 71 players in the league that have attempted at least 22-point shots, uh, he's number one for two-point field goal percentage, which is pretty wild. I don't think that you're going to get these, but I just like throwing random trivia. Who would you say would be number two in that two-point field goal percentage? You won't get it. I mean, this is not fair for me. Two point field goal percentage mm. on like a, at least a decent amount of attempts. Minimum twenty. Yeah. Um, like Zabe Cooks. Yeah, he's fourth, but the Dream Reaper, Anthony oh. Drimmage, is uh, second, and then Harry Froling third as well. So Froling's been good lately. Would have been some tough names for you to get to. I wouldn't have. It, I'd give me thirty guesses. I wouldn't have got that. Before we get to the All NBL teams, because I I've said it before, but I think the system is absolutely absurd so especially we, this season we can get into that because yeah. it's just absolute silliness and I, I think it should have changed last year because last year it was difficult i think it should change this year but we had an absolute well there was the threat of an absolute howler a hall of fame historical technical foul in the brisbane versus tasmania game on the weekend yeah chris reed <laughs> veteran official 
Nathan Sobey is getting fired up, and we know Nathan Sobey can be on the edge a little bit. But he's firing up the crowd. He's waving to the crowd. He's clapping to the crowd. And Chris Reed turns to him and says, be careful, stop inciting the crowd, or I'll have to do something about it. And I'm sorry, but if he had... I was at home begging him to call the tech because it would have been one of the worst calls and the most hilarious calls of all time. It would have been up there with Joey Crawford ejecting Tim Duncan for laughing laughing on the bench. Did you see this? Yeah, it was... So the whole idea is... Okay, we have discouraged players, or basically, effectively banned players, from taunting toward other players. So then the next step is, okay, I'm going to go to the crowd. I'm either going to taunt the crowd, or I'm going to, yes, incite the crowd to get louder. And and that's what Brisbane needed. It was, it was what they were doing all oh. game, too. They brought a lot of energy. It's what they need to be good. And the fact that he was almost sanctioned for that was baffling. It would have been awesome. <laughs> it would have been absolutely awesome if you it, it, just a ridiculous absolutely absurd if we're now uh living in the era which i'm sure we're not but if we are maybe we should clarify that the officials have been told if you see a player trying to fire up their home fans and build the atmosphere <laughs> in the building if we see one player chanting to the crowd hungry jacks it's an automatic uh, ejection. I, I don't know. I, I just thought it was it was hilarious, and I, I mean, wish he had done it. I mean, I've been I've been through my old man phase of hating when MCs yell to the crowd to get mm. louder. Like it's and we have to like acknowledge these guys are entertainers. That's right. Like they are there to entertain the crowd. Like what else do you want him to do? And that's right. Uh, let's be honest. Brisbane fans haven't had a lot to cheer for this year as well. So they give him a chance to be happy for goodness sake. <laughs> that is true. While we're complaining, the all NBL teams. So the system here. Three outside players, two inside players. Do you want to get us started here? Because to me, that just does not make sense. It it, was, it worked okay in previous years because of how guard and wing-heavy the league was, right? And I say wing is like outside player, which again, makes no sense. Um, so just quickly, everyone's an outside player, right? I mean, we just spoke about Derek Pardon. Basketball, it's Definition of an inside player, He's Derek Pardon. But... Yeah, Keanu Pinder, probably an inside player. Yeah. But all these other guys that they're going to try and define as inside players are banging down threes left, right, and center. This is the game. You, you space the floor. You have guys on the perimeter. So how can we sit here and have these all-NBL teams dictated by inside and outside players? It doesn't even make sense. Yeah. And like I said, it would have worked in previous years because it was so guard-heavy. But now we're really sort of forward-heavy as far as the top-tier guys, the guys who are performing really well. And so... What, what do you do at this point so we've rattled off we, we've got eight names as potential and like I think deserved inside players for the All-NBL teams so like I think Zave Cooks Mitch Creek All-NBL first team if they're if we're still going with three outside two inside players right and then you have just a list of a bunch of guys you got Derek Pardon you have Keanu Pinder you have Rob Franks who is probably one of the best three-point shooters in the league hmm. inside player um, Alan Williams inside player like he'd Look, he's probably an inside player, but he's like on this list. DJ Hogue, again, probably one of the better shooters, perimeter creators in the league. Inside player. Jarrell Brantley, inside player. Like, what are we... And I, Was there another one? No, those are the ones. There are eight guys there, right? And so someone's going to miss out. Like, Rob Franks is going to have a really great season. He's going to miss out. Alan Williams, he leads the league in player efficiency rating, right? He is one of the best players on what I think is going to be one of the best teams at the end of the season. There's a good chance he misses out because it's a weird system we should obviously just go to five players yeah, five whatever players DJ Ho getting up 8.2 three point attempts per game which inside is number player. one in the league and he's an inside player but you yeah. can't you can't say he's an outside player 
that's not by definition how they've worked it because they had uh, Mitch Creek as an inside player last year, which I would make the argument he's bringing the ball up the floor. He's shooting threes. Yeah, he scores in the paint. He'll post up those types of things. But I don't understand why we would not just go to two guards and three forwards slash centers. I mean, it's a very simple formula that they have to follow. I know they're trying to be a little bit different here, yeah. but it just doesn't make sense. Even Zave Cooks plays the point a lot. Yeah. So like, and so if even if they just flipped, keep the inside outside designation if you want. If you're married to that, sure. But, but why they're only doing it to be different? There's, it doesn't make sense. That is true. Is it is it a is it a footy thing? I don't do footy. But is that like do they refer to? Yeah, we can as, tell after we can tell you don't do footy after that. Okay, don't come at me, Mister. <laughs> I woke up at nine thirty when the Socceroos played Argentina. Oh, I don't want to watch the Socceroos play against the greatest well, football player. I'll of tell all you time. why I did that because there was a late game the night before in Melbourne. It was an eight pm game, and as you know, hard worker. I was hard at it to all hours. And what were you doing? You weren't at the game. You were at home. Watching movies? I had COVID. That's no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only excuse. Hey, thanks for staying away. I appreciate it. You're welcome. But yeah, don't don't give me that. Um, I lost my train of thought now. No, look. So if they if they just flipped it to uh, two outside players, three inside players, right? Which again, we're just saying two guards, three forwards. Mm-hmm. That works. That's what the NBA does. Works just fine. Not just fine. It works pretty well. Um, or alternatively just go the five best players and then the next five best players it'll generally work out just fine um, like again Zabe Cooks plays some point he plays a lot of point guard so yeah it's fine if he's the point guard of the All-NBA first team I don't care yeah I, I just the the idea of the three guard even if even if they were doing it in the past because there was you know greater depth of, of guards in the league I think just follow the pretty standard procedure we've got uh, across the world i think it, it makes sense so i didn't like it last year because i thought it was really difficult to do teams last year and i think that uh this year clearly as we're looking at it it's there's going to be some really really good players that are going to miss out uh we saw an interesting scenario with a goaltending call on the weekend Olgs. i mean you were via text and getting into an argument and this might be one that i'm very wrong with but i'm happy to uh, stick with my take here so what happened with this goaltending on a free throw miss so a free throw was shot uh i think it was gorjok gak attempted to hit the ball off the rim which you can do in fiba basketball uh he touched it it went in the in the basket it was counted as two points instead of one mm. i think quite rightly so mm. because once the ball hits the rim we are in the nbl it is a live ball so then he touches it the person closest to him gets that two-point bucket now, right? That is a new shot that gets taken. I don't see the issue. I think, (laughs) this is my galaxy brain theory here. Do it. That can easily be shut down by everyone. But I think the value of the shot, if you're going up to goaltend, if you're going to swat the ball off the rim, you get the value of the shot. So that should have been one point. If you have a ball that's hanging on the rim, bouncing around off a three, and the defensive player swats the ball and it goes through the rim, hasn't touched the floor, hasn't been a clean possession, three points. Okay, but if, if we're playing in a world where the ball hits the rim, it becomes a live ball, so a defensive player yeah. can tip it off the rim, right? So if, if a defensive player has the, the ability and the, the agency to, to hit that off the rim, then we're determining at that point that that is now a neutral ball. That is now a live ball. 
right? And so when he touches it, we're in a new world now, right? Where that three-point shot effectively never happened. I don't like it. I don't like that world. Uh, if, if well, someone... then, then take away the, the, the defensive goaltend rule from FIBA. No, I like it. It's a fun rule. But so I, <laughs> I don't think we should... I don't think we get to upsize the points. You know, he shoots the free throw... We're not giving him 10 points. Well, he got two. It could have been valuable. It was a tight game, I think, through three quarters. So, yeah, I'm I don't even know. If, I don't even know. I don't have much else behind this argument other than I just... I looked at it and I was like, geez, two points. It feels like he missed a free throw, swatted it. That should have been one point. It's, it's I understand the, the rule. Yeah, it's just the risk you take. It's, it's, it's just what happens. You take the risk of trying to hit that ball off the rim. If you get it, awesome. You save a point. If you touch it and it goes in, unfortunately for you, the person closest to you gets two points. Oh, that's why you're younger than me when you pull out terms like unforge. Uh, the Phoenix, <laughs> can they be trusted, Olks? Eight and six on the season. Uh, they have won six of their last nine. or Actually, I believe it's seven of their last ten now after starting, well, obviously, heavily, heavily depleted uh, with their roster. They, for the most part, handled Melbourne the other night. It didn't feel like they were ever going to lose this game, but you know, 35 free throws to eight. Melbourne had seven more turnovers. The Phoenix scored a whole bunch more points off those turnovers, and yet it was still down to a couple of possessions in the last minute of the game. But they won. They just came back from New Zealand 48 hours earlier. Everyone travels. I'm not looking to give anyone any excuses here, but uh, I think in some scenarios, you just take the win and go home, and it doesn't matter how it comes. But can they be trusted? I think they can. Like So their big loss came against New Zealand. New Zealand's a very pick-and-roll heavy team. Yep. I don't think South East Melbourne guards pick-and-rolls particularly well, so it just wasn't a good matchup for them. But, you know, come the playoffs, when the game slows down a little bit, you know, a team that focuses a lot on post-ups like South East Melbourne does, I think I want to trust them a little bit. Um, defensively, I don't, again, I don't think they're there yet, um, but I, I sort of trust in the pieces they have to figure that out, um, even though they... Oh, I, I shouldn't say I trust that, because they really haven't done that over the past, like, three, four years. Um, but look, I... I I don't have faith either. Now look, so I just, I, there is reason to believe that they might figure that out. Um, and so, like, they have the offensive firepower. They're not fully healthy, and that's probably the only part that I don't completely trust. Uh, that's the only thing that kind of scares me a little bit and makes me think that maybe they're not completely real because, you know, Ryan Brockoff, I really can't trust him when it comes to, like, staying healthy over the course of a season. You know, one little knock and he could be out for a good amount of time. You know, Kyle Adnam looking a bit shaky right now coming off his little knee injury Joe Chi you know he's going to have to come back get his conditioning right and so maybe it's just getting their pieces right and then and you know I, I have a question about their depth at that point it also seems as though we every press conference we go into Simon Mitchell kind of points to the guy next to him and says oh this guy probably shouldn't have suited up tonight like okay he suited up it's fine like but it just seems like they're always banged up and so maybe that the injuries and you know that creating a lack of depth that scares me a little bit Do you, I know you like them a lot do you trust them yeah, I like them a lot. I've had questions about the defense, which I wrote a relatively lengthy story on Friday at ESPN.com.au about the defense because Simon Mitchell has been a little testy when it comes to talking about the defense. He's been frustrated by it, and I haven't quite been able to figure out what he's been frustrated about, whether it's me or you asking <laughs> the questions. Look, I think there's a significant chance he's just sick of me, which is like totally reasonable and fair, but... or he is frustrated with the fact that the defense, again, has been an issue this season at times. Because yeah. sometimes it's looked good. Or he's using it as as some kind of motivation like, hey, guys, these people keep questioning the defense. I've got no problem. We're fine. We're going to be great. 
to his point, and I will say this, and this is fair. This is we need to take this into context because I've been telling you all year, ignore a lot of the numbers because of the way the season started. But yep. some of the defensive staff to lineup data I put in the story was just based on when the starters have been back in the lineup because I think that's the fair way to look at this you team. Take out a good chunk of those first games. That's right. Yeah. So in 235 possessions with their starting five, so you got Big Sauce, friend of the podcast, yes. uh, Rowdy, Gary Brown, Greg. Creek Cal. and Trey Cal. 235 possessions. The defensive rating is 106.6, which is actually pretty damn respectable. I mean, that's that's putting you in the top half of the league if that you're able to hold that for the entire team, including the bench players that you referenced. Um, so the starters have been pretty good, and then the offensive rating is through the roof. They're scoring 121 points per 100 possessions, which is that would lead the league. elite. That is that yep. is very very elite stuff. So they can score. We know that the starters have actually defensively been pretty good. That's even including getting absolutely destroyed uh, by New Zealand. So, yeah, I think that there is reason to be still optimistic while also putting a watch on the defensive stuff. And Joe Chi, perhaps as a rim protector, might help because I did think, you know, Melbourne could basically not score anywhere the other night, but they had 50 points in the paint. And I thought, hey, just put Marcus Lee in these pick and rolls and throw him lobs all night long because they weren't able to do anything to stop it. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't do that more. Um, but yeah, Alan Williams is one who he's unbelievable on the offensive end. His touch is so nice. Um, but defensively, guarding on balls, I got, I've got questions. Uh, so Gary Brown, by the way, that post-game press conference Very was funny. elite stuff. That's up there. Geordie Hunter's been pretty good. Yeah, Creaky's given us some good ones. Um, I, I guess you can count whenever Dean says something. That, a little bit different. Perhaps not, not different so humorous. Different Um <laughs> Jacob Jacomus is always good value in a in a press conference room as well. Modi always gives us some mm. some wisdom, which is good. But yeah, Gary Brown, elite stuff. Yeah, that was fantastic. But and that was funny, and everyone was in a good mood. Uh, the Bullets weren't in a good mood at the end of this game <laughs> versus Tasmania. So the game's in the books. Jack McVeigh down the floor, seconds counting down. He sees an opportunity to. They run up the score a little bit, knock down another three, hits a three in transition. Tyler Johnson was pissed about it, shall we say. There was a bit of push and shove. Sam McKinnon, yep. And Scott Roth continuously just does the right thing. I mean, he's just the most lovable guy you could ever imagine in this league. There's no doubt. So you can see he's trying to apologize to Sam and saying, that's my fault. Apologize. Shouldn't have taken that shot. And certainly from what it looked like in the camera, Sam McKinnon blew him off. Now, he's clearly frustrated in the moment. But it was a little bit strange to me. Very strange. So, like, credit to Scott Roth for trying to apologize, which he didn't have to. Um, he no. was trying to defuse the situation, which, good on you, right? But Jack McVeigh has every right to shoot that shot. Uh, I think he has an expectation to, sh- to shoot that shot. If there's one team that knows that he should shoot that shot, it's Brisbane. Because a few years ago, they needed like 140 points in a game in order to maybe qualify for the playoffs, right? They nearly got there too. They came out hot that game. Um, and so if there's any team that knows about, hey, maybe the percentages matter, maybe for and against matters, it's Brisbane. And so it was very weird to see Sam McKinnon feel so aggrieved after that game and think like, oh, how dare he shoot that shot? Tyler Johnson, to his credit, was annoyed in the moment. And then in the handshake lines, I'm told he apologized to everyone because he was, he was told what happened, right? He's an NBA guy. He's yep. an American. He doesn't understand the, the sentiments that sure. we don't have here, right? We play to the final buzzer, right? Because points matter. Um, 
And so it was just very weird to see Sam McKinnon feel so aggrieved at the end of that game. I'm told some of the Bullets players were also pretty aggrieved at the end. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, Sam McKinnon, you've been involved with the NBL for like 30 years. Like, you know the rules here. You, you, like, in the moment, were you either ignorant of the rules or you didn't know that points matter? Like, either one of those is like a scary thought to have in your head coach slash GM of basketball, right? Like, I, I get you're maybe mad because you, your team's in a shitty situation right now. But... Like, you know that this that's the expectation. You know that's how basketball's played. Like, it was just very... It was very weird and, like, maybe telling of just where everyone's, like, feelings are at right now. Everyone's in their feelings in Brisbane. There's a very winnable game. One they probably thought that they were yeah. in a good position to win and they were really blown out over the last few minutes. But Scott Roth, again, in the post game, he said, yeah, I don't like it. You know, I, I've been in the NBA system from America... I don't like that he took that shot. I yelled out to him not to take that shot, but and, maybe he didn't hear me. And Scott Roth has done that at the end yeah. of games. He says, hold the ball, dribble it out, right? Which, again, I understand the sentiment there, but it's the NBL. Percentages matter. Jack McVay should shoot that shot, and he made that shot. That could help them down the line. The, the NBL is a very close league. The, that fight for 6-7 and seven in the play-in could be pretty close because Perth might suddenly go on a run, right? Every point matters at this point. And so I understand Roth's sort of like his tack to go and defuse the situation and be be sort of apologetic about it but I'm more kind of annoyed at the Brisbane Bullets and Sam McKinnon for being so precious about it we do see it from time to time in this league though so an interesting end to the game there and the Bullets now four and eight on the season one and two uh, since the coaching change uh, I think the first game was a right out right off I should say getting blown out by New Zealand I don't think you know, that should have been a huge surprise given uh, given what was on the line. But Brisbane and Melbourne will play this week here, will be there. You talk about two teams that are absolutely desperate uh, for a win. But we also get on Thursday night, 5.30 p.m., New Zealand and Sydney. Top mm. two. Last time, I thought Sydney really handled them comfortably. Yeah. And Sydney didn't close out the game they would like to. But it looked like Sydney going in and making a bit of a statement, I thought they did similar against Adelaide on Sunday, even though, again, perhaps they they weren't able to score as many points as they would have liked and they would have been able to separate uh, that margin, but they look super comfortable. And I think this Sydney team is a team that gets up for the challenges. I think they enjoy it. I don't think they've actually been close to their best all season long, no. and yet they're, they're right up the top of the table. And to me, we talk about the trust factor, number one on my trust ratings. Yeah, so we talk about Sydney not having reached their ceiling yet. I think Adelaide was the Adelaide game was maybe as close as yeah. we've gotten. Um, you know, Xavier Cook's doing his thing. Derek Walton, you know, it seems like he plays in like second gear all the time. Um, it sort of looked like he was playing that with with that extra little pep in his step. And then it's about DJ Vasiljevic making shots. About it's about Tim Suarez making shots and protecting the rim. That was an easy win for them because all of the pieces clicked, and we haven't seen all of those pieces click enough this season. Um, and the thing is, they've done it before. We, we can trust that they will find a way to make all of that work at the same time when it matters. Yeah, I say maybe the offense wasn't firing as as well as they would have liked. They still scored 97 points and won by nearly 20 against a team that we think are coming and pushing towards the postseason. So yeah, maybe that's just where I think they're at this season. I, I think obviously they're, they're a pretty awesome team. I want to ask you before we wrap it up if there's any news around the league, but before we do... Uh, definitely keep up with all your basketball news at ESPN.com.au and the jump 8.30pm on Wednesday nights. And speaking of the Sydney Kings, Luke Longley will be on the show. He's obviously just joined the Sydney Kings ownership 
group there, which is a pretty cool story. Mm. Unless you have some severe hate for the Sydney Kings. I think it's just <laughs> cool to see Luke Longley involved in basketball. So that uh, will be a good one there. There's still a couple of teams that are looking for players. Oaks, Brisbane, Adelaide. Maybe there's another team or two that are just at least poking around. Uh, have you got any news for us before we wrap it up? Uh, not not news, no. Adelaide's not close. Brisbane, I was told that their search is like hitting a lot of roadblocks. Yep. Um, they're not that close either. Um, I'm still waiting to see if Sam McKinnon is actually going to finish out this season as head coach. I'm under the impression that they're, they're still looking at guys. They've had a, a short list for like a, a good amount of time. They've had a short list of four guys who... They had been working under the impression that they may have to use that, and so far they haven't. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting to see if, if that's going to be a long-term thing with Sam McKinnon this season or if they might make a change. 16 games to go. They, As I said, they're 4-8, and eight, so it'll be interesting to see how the next couple of games potentially dictate what they try to do. But as we mentioned, it's a top six, so technically only two games back in the loss column. See what happens with Aaron Baines. Hopefully he plays this weekend and maybe they still think that they're a shot. They're certainly not in the position where they're going to give up, but yeah, a couple of interesting roster moves to make there. Uh, 5.30 p.m., that's New Zealand, then Sydney Kings on ESPN. That'll get things started for this round. And Olgs, it's just going to be a pleasure to have you back in the arena, healthy, fit, firing, and ready to have some awful takes. Okay. Thank you. Thank thank you very much. Let's leave it there. Let's wrap it up, Olgs. I'll see you next Tuesday. All right, Kane. Bye. (laughs) 